Thank you, Laurel. Thank you, Marianne. What a beautiful morning to sit in the presence of our Lord. What joy and warmth is in this place. I hope you feel it this morning. I hope you feel the joy of baubles in worship. Marianne, that was the most beautiful ending to the first Noel that I have ever experienced, and so thank you for that. It's just a reminder that we come here this morning with limitations, and we come here this morning in need of a Savior, and so what a beautiful way to start this Christmas Eve morning together. This Christmas Eve morning, this magical day, when I imagine no matter our age or our season of life, we have a little bit of excitement in our bellies this morning, don't we? A little bit of excitement about the day that is to come, but especially the morning that awaits us tomorrow. Of course, I remember, especially as a kid, that excitement was over the top. It was heightened by the creeping realization that at least one of the gifts that I circled in the JCPenney catalog, at least one of those gifts would show up almost magically under my tree on that Christmas morning. I was the youngest of four kids, and so our Christmas tradition on Christmas morning, we would, as siblings, wake up and go into each other's rooms and shake one another awake. We would go down to the hallway to my parents' room, and we would pile onto their bed, and we would shake them awake until my dad finally woke, uh, wiped the sleep from his eyes, and he would stumble downstairs. And the four of us children would would huddle together at the top of the stairs, and we would sit there, and we would have to wait. We would have to wait while my dad went downstairs, and he turned on the lights, and he turned up the heat, and he got the coffee perking, and we would have to wait at the top of the stairs until we heard the voice of my father saying, it's time, it's okay, come downstairs. And as kids, we couldn't wait for that moment. And so we would start running downstairs and we would grab each other the back of our PJs and our pants and try to climb over top of each other to come into the living room. Because you see, in my house, in my house, the gifts that Santa brought that were under the tree were unwrapped. And so as children, as we sat on the top of the stairs, we knew, we knew we would sit there in torture because we knew the minute we came barreling into the living room, the treasure that we had been waiting for, it was there to be discovered in plain sight. You might say it was magical. You know, I come back to that memory every Christmas every Christmas, and I confess, I have told that story in worship countless times. And the reason I do is because especially as I get older, the more years I live on this earth, I come back to that memory and I think it so beautifully mirrors this journey of Advent that we have been on together. Advent. These last four weeks in the church calendar, when the people of Jesus throughout the world, when we join our hearts and our minds together, and we declare, we confess, we declare that we are a people who wait. We are a people who look back. 
we look back and we wait with the people of Israel who for generations, they longed for a Messiah to come on that first Christmas morn. A babe wrapped in swaddling clothes who would bring good news of great joy to all the people. We wait with them. And we wait as we look ahead. We wait with the people of God collectively as we wait for a father who waits for us downstairs and he calls us down the stairs and he says, come, because I have gifts of hope and peace and love and joy. And I not only have it for you now, but I have it for you someday in the future. We wait for his second coming, the second advent when he makes all things right. My friends, we are a people who wait. We are a people who wait here this morning. On December 24th, 2023, I imagine that each of us come here this morning waiting for something in this very moment. We come waiting with all of our dreams, all of our longings, all of our hopes. We wait with all of our fears, all of our doubts, all of our disappointments. We wait with our grief, and we wait with our joys and our celebrations that have carried us through this year. We wait for God to break in, and we wait for God to break through, and we believe by faith as the people of God that no matter what our year has looked like, that the reason we come here this morning is because we wait for a God who is Emmanuel, who is God with us. That story at the top of the stairs, that's the first reason I love to tell that story. The second reason I love to tell that story specifically this morning, because it points us exactly to where we are in our scripture passage this morning. For those of you who may be new or joining us this morning for the first time, we have spent the last four weeks as a church community exploring the Christmas story through the book of, through the story of the Magi. These unexpected, mysterious foreigners from the East who, through a series of circumstances that only God himself could orchestrate, were compelled to leave their homes, to follow a supernatural star that would first lead them to the courts of King Herod to inquire where they could find the one the scriptures prophesied about, This one the scriptures called the king of the Jews. And then this star, as we will see this morning, would continue to lead them to the place that we find ourselves today. At the doorstep of a humble carpenter and his peasant wife. Listen as the story comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we have come this day to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. 
But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and he said, go and search carefully for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go too and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This, my friends, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. After a very long and intense journey, the Magi have finally, they have finally arrived at the home of Mary and Joseph. Now, when we first began this sermon series, our lead pastor, Dan Meyer, was careful to point out that there are things that modern-day readers of Scripture have come to insert into this story that may not actually be true. For example, many assumed that there were three magi, largely because three gifts were given, three gifts that we are going to talk about today. But Scripture doesn't actually tell us how many wise men there were. Many imagine the Magi riding into camels or into town on camels that day, but there's actually no indication of how they arrived in Jerusalem. Some of our favorite hymns refer to the Magi as kings, but they were in fact more like scientists or astrologers. They were king makers, not royalty themselves. And so when we get to this piece of the story, there's another assumption our imaginations are tempted to make. We imagine the Magi arriving at the scene of a manger that unfolds in the book of Luke. We imagine cattle lowing and shepherds rejoicing and Mary and Joseph shivering with their newborn baby in the cold. But Matthew tells a different story. If you come back next week, and we hope that you will, you will see that Matthew's story actually concludes with a bit of a traumatic and horrific ending, at least in part. There is good news still, but at least in part. But the text here tells us that the Roman king Herod, he was disturbed by the Magi's visit. And so as a result of his insecurity and his jealousy, he issues a decree that would eliminate all of the children ages two and under. We see in the next section, it causes Mary and Joseph to flee to save the life of their child. And so when we understand this, we get a different picture of the Magi's visit. Rather than the Magi arriving to find a babe in a manger, Many scholars believe that they most likely arrived at the home of Mary and Joseph nearly two years after the birth of Jesus. 
But here's the thing, it doesn't matter, at least not for today, because regardless of when they arrived, it doesn't change what happened next. One caveat I want to make as we move forward is we need to understand, like many of the weeks leading up to today, we don't have a lot of details about this encounter. And so one encouragement I want to give us from a commentator who reminds us that Matthew's story of the Magi has often been better understood by poets and artists than by scholars. While the study of the details are always important, it's essential that we don't study the details of the story at the expense of losing the wonderment of what happens next. And so I'm going to invite you to wonder with me for a minute. I'm going to invite you to step into the story and use your imaginations. Imagine that the Magi, they have been waiting at the top of their own Christmas stairs. They have been called downstairs on this long journey, and now they're finally arriving to their living room. And they're about to see the gift that they have been waiting for. Except instead of standing in a living room, they are standing on the doorstep of Mary and Joseph with their fists cocked, and they are ready to knock. What anticipation and excitement do you think may have bubbling up in their own souls? What do you think they were expecting to find? What do you think they were hoping for? What do you think they were truly seeking? For centuries, people have come to Jesus seeking all kinds of things. They have come to the foot of their own Christmas tree, carrying their own expectations, their own needs, their own desires, their own longings, their own Christmas wish list, if you will, in hopes that Jesus would give something to them or be something for them. In the Gospels, people came to Jesus looking for all kinds of things. They came to be seen. They came to be touched. They came to be healed. They came to find acceptance and friendship and belonging. They came to receive wise teaching, to experience compassion and forgiveness. They came to find a leader to follow, a king who would conquer, a deliverer who would set them free, them all that weighed them down. And my friends this morning, I want to say that's okay. Jesus invites us to come to him. He invited the people in the New Testament throughout history to come to him. He accepted them with all of their expectations and longings, and he met them with love and with grace. Friends, today Jesus meets us in the desires of our hearts and in his kindness. In his kindness, he is so often ready to fulfill those unmet longings in our hearts, those things that we have been waiting for. But my friends, it's not why the Magi went seeking the Messiah that day. Verse 2 tells us that when Herod asked the Magi why they had come, they said, we saw his star when it rose, and what? We have come to worship him. We have come to worship him. Our English word worship comes from an old Anglo-Saxon word meaning worship. The root word is worthy. 
Worship means to prize the worth of something above everything else, to regard something with such supreme importance that we give all of our respect, all of our devotion in extravagant ways. Worship is an attitude of the heart, but it's also a physical act. It literally means to bow down in submission and honor. Worship compels us to do something, to demonstrate the worth of someone or something else. In other words, worship is not about the one who worships. It's actually not about the one who seeks. It's about the one in whom we find the fulfillment of that which we seek. The one in whom all of our longings are met, the one who is the object of all of our gratitude and adoration and praise. Worship is a recognition of and a response to the indescribable, indescribable, unfathomable worth of the God of the universe. In the Gospel of Luke, When Zechariah finds out that his son John is to be the forebearer for the long-awaited Messiah, what does he do? He worships. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people, he says, and redeemed them. When Mary finds out that she is the one that God chose to carry the Messiah, she sings a song of praise that we repeat today, the Magnificat. What does Mary do? Mary worships. My soul, she says, glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. For the mighty one has done great things. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. On the night the shepherds were waiting in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks, the angel of the Lord appeared to them. And suddenly, the scripture tells us, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel. And what did they do? They praised God. They worshiped, saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. And then what did the shepherds do? The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all of the things they had heard and seen, which was just as they had been told. When Simeon, the prophet who had been waiting his whole life, his whole life, to see the Messiah. When he finally laid eyes on Jesus, he took the Son of God in his arms and he praised his Father, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes they have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all the nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. They worshiped when they encountered the king. The Magi reached the house where Jesus was. And we are given no indication that they were concerned about what they would get from Jesus that day. They were coming to pay homage to a king. And so they knock on the door, and when they see Jesus, rather than worrying about what they will receive, they say, what child is this? On Mary's lap is sleeping, 
whom angels greet and anthem sweet while shepherds watch are keeping. What child is this? This is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing, haste, haste, bring him, Laud, the babe, the son of Mary. So bring him incense, gold and myrrh, come peasant king to own him. The king of kings salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrow him. The people of God, the foreigners who didn't even know a God, they came to worship. Matthew chapter 2 verse 11 tells us that on coming to the house, they, the Magi, saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. They were compelled to act. They were compelled to act because they knew the treasure that they saw before them was like none other. And so they brought gifts that are only fit for a king. Now there are some things we don't know about these gifts and there are some things we do know. We do know that gold and the other gifts were common gifts to present to a king. We know they were costly. We know the Magi had to sacrifice something for them. And we know that there was intentionality behind what they gave. But what exactly these gifts symbolized, once again, we are left to wonder. We are left to put ourselves in the story for it is a piece of the story that theologians and historians and artists and poets have speculated a lot about for generations. And the text doesn't explicitly tell us there is significance, but there is one common interpretation that I want to share with you today, and that is that gold was a gift for a royal king. Frankincense was a gift for a high priest, and myrrh was a gift for a loving, redeeming savior. Gold is probably the most obvious of the three gifts. It's been an indicator of value and worth for thousands of years. It's rare, it's difficult to accumulate, it's beautiful, it's costly, it does not rust or corrode. For centuries, it has been seen as a symbol of kingship on earth. In the Old Testament, gold was the primary item regarded as fit for the king. The book of Kings tells us when the queen of Sheba heard about the fame of the wise king Solomon, she came to him. And after she spent some time with him and deemed him worthy, she gave him copious amounts of gold. When the Magi brought gold to honor Jesus, it wasn't just any gift. It was a proclamation of Jesus as king. Not just one king, but the king of kings, the ultimate king, the long-awaited Messiah who would come to deliver his people. That was gold. Frankincense. Frankincense, a gift for a high priest. Frankincense is an expensive fragrance that is made from trees in the east, most likely India. It was actually made by cutting incisions in the bark and letting the resin flow out, and they would collect that resin, and then they would burn it. And when they burned frankincense, it created this intense and beautiful fragrance. And so it was often used in worship. 
According to Exodus, frankincense was burned in the sanctuary where the presence of God dwelt among his people and it was not burned anywhere else. And as the fragrance rose, it created this pleasing aroma to God and the people believed that it also carried their prayers. They carried their prayers to the God of the universe and so it was seen as an intercessor between God and his people. Frankincense was a proclamation that Jesus would become our high priest, perpetually intervening for us on our behalf before the Father, gathering up our hopes and our longings and our dreams and our fears and lifting them before a gracious God. Fulfilling, at least in hindsight, they wouldn't have known it at the time, but fulfilling the words of the book of Hebrews that Jesus had to be made like us, fully human in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of his people. Frankincense was a gift for the one who would become our high priest. The last gift of the Magi is perhaps the most curious. It's the gift of myrrh. Myrrh is a specific kind of costly perfume made from rare thorn bushes in Arabia and Ethiopia, and it's used as an embalming oil. Unlike the gold and perfume that might make nice Christmas gifts, this was an odd gift, maybe an even inappropriate gift for the family of a newborn baby. As one writer put it, embalming liquid never appears to top the list of baby shower gifts in our society today. While it's unlikely that either the Magi or Mary and Joseph linked this gift with what was yet to come, today we have the benefit of knowing the end of the story. That this first gift given to Jesus at the beginning of his life would ultimately point to the last gift he would give to us at the end of his life. The Gospel of Mark tells us that as Jesus was hanging on the cross, they offered him wine mixed with myrrh. In the Gospel of John, we read that after Jesus was crucified, Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes for the preparation of Jesus' death and burial, which would ultimately lead to his resurrection. And so myrrh, while perhaps the most Solomon gift, also becomes one of the most beautiful gifts we can think about this Advent and reasons to worship Christ. It is a gift that points to the fact that although the people had already received one thing they had been waiting for, there was so much more that was to come, myrrh, a gift for a loving Savior who would give up his life to redeem the sins of the world. This piece of the story concludes with verse 12. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now, we understand that they returned physically. We get that. We get they returned physically by another route that day, but it's hard to imagine. Again, we're imagining, but it's hard to imagine that these wise men encountered the God of the universe that they saw the fulfillment of scripture as they looked into the Messiah's eyes and bowed down and worshiped him and offered themselves to him, that they walked away from this encounter unchanged. 
perhaps I'm speculating a little bit, but I'm wondering again, do you know what I think may have changed the Magi that day? Do you know what I think still has hope and truth to change us today? This realization that on this Christmas Eve morning, that any treasure, any gift we bring to an encounter with Jesus, the Messiah, and eternal King pales in comparison. It just doesn't even come close to the treasure that he inherently is for each and every one of us. The truth is God delights in our worship. He finds joy in our presence. He beckons us to seek him over and over and over again to bring to him all that we have and all that we are. But the truth of Christmas that we find in the story of the Magi this morning is that while Jesus welcomes us to his home and receives what we graciously have to offer, listen to this, my friends, he does not need one thing from us. He doesn't need one thing we have to give. In the book of Acts, the apostle Luke says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. God did this so that men and women would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, even though he is not far from any one of us. Beloved, I don't know what you have come here seeking from Jesus on this Christmas Eve morn. I don't know what you have been waiting for, what you have been longing for, what you have been hoping for in your life, I don't know if you come in here this morning in a posture of worship and praise and gratitude for all the good things God has already given you this year, or if you come in this morning with prayers on your lips, with just throwing up one last prayer, that maybe that thing you have been hoping for, maybe it will find you this morning, or maybe you are on the precipice of giving up hope altogether. I don't know what brought you here this morning. I don't know what you're carrying, but here's what I do know. I know that no matter where you find yourself on the journey, the beautiful truth of Advent is that while we have been longing and hoping and waiting for the arrival of a Messiah, he has long been waiting for us. A royal king has been waiting for you. A high priest has been waiting for you. A loving Savior has been waiting for you. And so like the Magi before us, come to him today. Show up at his doorstep. Offer him whatever it is you have brought on your journey, your brokenness, your shame, your grief, your hope, your desires, your longings, your joys, your celebrations, your marriages, your children, your friendship, your grandchildren, your future. Bring your spare change. 
bring your wadded up tissues, bring your empty hands, whatever you have, just bring it. Knock on the door of his house and wait with anticipation because the promise of scripture is that he will answer. For behold, he stands at the door and knocks and anyone who hears his voice, he opens the door and he will come to them. Friends, he will come to you this morning and when he does, be amazed, be awestruck, be wonder at the love of your king. The treasure under your tree that has been waiting for you in plain sight. And bow down in worship. Bow down in adoration. Give to him whatever you have that he does not need. Open your heart, my friends, and worship him today. For unto us a child is born, and he is Christ the Lord. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you for the gift of your presence. Thank you for the gift of your son, our king, our priest, our savior. Lord, I, I pray this morning that no matter how we come to you, that we believe the promise that you receive us. And so let us open our hearts to you today. Give us the courage to knock on the door of your home and trust that you really are Emmanuel, God with us. Amen.